0: dog works radio is sponsored by alaska dog works check out their website at alaskadogworks.com
1: start your day tomorrow with the daily dog with michelle Forto, the morning podcast on dog works radio apple podcast reviewer patty christensen calls it funny smart and filled with all the info i want to know about dogs i love this show Wake up with a daily dog. Available on Dog Works Radio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows.
0: Mushing Radio presents the 1925 Serum Run. Subscribe to Dog Works Radio on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Previously on the 1925 Serum Run. In January 1925, Dr. Curtis Welch of Nome notices an uptick of patients with severe coughs. After several deaths, he determines that the cause is diphtheria. An epidemic of diphtheria is almost inevitable here, stop. I am in urgent need of one million units of diphtheria antitoxin, stop. The original plan is to have Leonard Seppala, a legendary musher and multiple winner of the All-Alaska Sweepstakes Sled Dog Race, travel halfway, pick up the antitoxin, and return to Nome. The Board of Health unanimously votes for a dog sled relay to bring 300,000 units of antitoxin from Anchorage to Nome. In Anchorage, a carefully wrapped 20-pound package of antitoxin is put on a northbound train where it meets the first dog sled team outside Fairbanks. It's 50 below zero when the train reaches the first dog team of Wild Bill Shannon. It may have made more sense to wait until morning, but Shannon says, if people are dying, let's get started. As the epidemic worsens, Territorial Governor Bone authorizes funds to increase the number of dog teams and dog drivers to get the antitoxin to know more quickly. Sepala, who is already on the trail, believes he's going all the way to Nulata with a team of 20 dogs. He plans to drop some along the way and return to Nome with eight dogs. When the number of teams is increased, mushers are told to keep an eye out for Sepala and stop him in Shaktulik. But Sepala is out of range of telephone and telegraph, so he has no idea the plans have changed. As drivers take the antitoxin up the trail, They face temperatures going down to 64 degrees below zero, storms, and wind gusts of more than 100 miles per hour. The antitoxin moves down the mighty Yukon River and then across the Kaltag Portage before it arrives on the Bering Coast at Unalakleet. As unstable ice on the Norton Sound threatens to break up, a storm starts moving in. Leonard Seppala heads across the ice towards Shaktulik. Hours later, Henry Ivanov and his fresh team of dogs head north onto the ice from Shaktulik. Ivanov spots Seppala as Ivanov is untangling his dogs after an encounter with a rogue reindeer. Seppala can't believe the antitoxin has already come so far. He takes the package and heads back north across the ice into a fierce headwind. Seppala realizes after several hours that he's on an ice floe that's headed slowly out to sea, and when he can't find a way off, He hunkers down with his dogs, hoping the wind will change and provide a way back onto firmer ground, or in this case, firmer ice. After a few hours, Sepala finds a point where the ice flow is close to solid ice, but it's still too far for Togo to jump, so Sepala picks up his lead dog and throws him onto the solid ice. Togo starts to tow Sepala's ice flow in, but his line snaps. Instinctively, Togo knows what he needs to do to be reunited with his human. He jumps into the water, retrieves the line, gets back up on solid ice, and slowly pulls the ice flow closer. Sepala is eventually able to jump across, and he and his team head back to Isaac's Point, where he's able to sleep for a few hours as the fierce storm settles in. This week, Racing the Storm. 2 a.m., February 1, 1925. The owner of the roadhouse at Isaac's Point shakes Leonard Seppala awake. It's time to leave if he wants a chance of beating the storm. The wind, by now, is howling, and ice on the Norton Sound is moving and cracking. Seppala has to go 30 miles to Golovin. As he gets ready to leave, an old Eskimo comes out and warns him that the trail is not good and Seppala should stick closer to the shore. The normal trail further out on the ice avoids craggy areas that can be hard to navigate, but Sepala takes to heart the advice of the local and sticks to the shore, noting that parts of the ice have broken apart and are drifting out to sea. Even staying close to the shore, Sepala notices open water near him. It's 40 below zero, but the storm is causing the ice to move and break up. Togo leads Sepala and his team safely across the ice. Norton Sound pushes up in this area into a bay and lagoon on the way to Golovin. The village of Golovin is located on a spit of land that pushes out into the bay, creating the lagoon. The village, and the entire area, is named after Russian Vice Admiral Vasily Mikhailovich Golovinin. Although the bay and lagoon are often referred to as Golovin Bay and Golovin Lagoon, the official names are Golovinin Bay and Golovinin Lagoon. But the village is officially Golovin. The extra N was left off. The name of the village was misspelled early on in official documents, and the misspelled name sticks to this day. Seppla and his team make it safely across the ice and he stops to brush snow off his dogs. While the dangers of the ice are behind them, Togo and the others face a series of steep ups and downs on the way up to the summit of Little McKinley. The dogs are running on fumes at this point. Their reserves are almost totally gone. They've traveled 260 miles in under five days, and only had about four hours rest at Isaac's point. But Sepala looks at Togo and gives the word, and Togo pulls forward. Some of the other dogs whimper and complain, but Togo's resolve pulls them back into line. An hour after Sepala comes up off the ice, the storm breaks up most of the ice left on the Norton Sound, and it drifts out to sea. Luckily, he made it past the area just in time. Sepala and his team of dogs climb up and down a series of ridges repeatedly before reaching the summit of Little McKinley, about 1,200 feet above sea level. There's an amazing view of Golovan Bay from the top, but Sepala doesn't stop to look. His dogs race down the final stretch to Golovan, somehow knowing, without being told, that they'll get to rest there and they'll get food. When Sepala comes into town, it seems like the entire village is there to greet him and cheer him onto Dexter's Roadhouse, where Charlie Olsen is waiting with a fresh team of dogs. It's been 13 hours since Sepala woke up at Isaac's Point and headed into the storm. He hands off the antitoxin before taking care of his now-exhausted dogs, who have traveled nearly 350 miles in just about five days. By the time the antitoxin gets to Nome, it will have traveled approximately 675 miles by dog sled. 91 of those miles were behind Seppala's amazing lead dog, Togo. And now, at Golovin, the antitoxin is just 78 miles from Nome. In Nome, the storm is bearing down and the winds are howling. Dr. Curtis Welch and nurse Emily Morgan visit as many families as possible and the locals try to enforce the curfew. Looking at the severity of the incoming storm, Welch worries that the antitoxin might not get there at all. One musher being delayed or lost could result in the glass ampules freezing and cracking, which would ruin the antitoxin. Welch calls an emergency meeting of the Nome Board of Health. He argues that keeping the antitoxin safe and having it arrive a day or two later is more important than risking having it not arrive. The board agrees and votes to stop the relay. No Mayor Maynard calls the roadhouse at Solomon and orders the relay stopped there. Word is also left at Port Safety, where musher Ed Roan is scheduled to be the final leg in the relay that will bring the antitoxin the last 22 miles into Nome. Because phone lines don't run to all of the villages, and the Signal Corps have not been able to get updates, no one in Gnome knows exactly where the antitoxin is. They don't know if Sepala was ever found, and the last update they've had is that the antitoxin had just left Unalakleet on the way to Shaktulik. They don't know that Sepala got the antitoxin, that he gave it to Olsen, and that Olsen is now on his way to give the antitoxin to Gunnar Cassen, who will bring it to Port Safety and Ed Roan. Roan, waiting at the roadhouse at Port Safety, feels halting the relay is the right decision. As the storm batters the area, he can barely see the ice beyond the small lagoon, separating the spit of land and Fort Safety from the Bering Sea. The ice is in constant motion, and the wind is whipping around, blowing at more than 80 miles per hour. Roan reports to Maynard that the wind is blowing the snow so hard that it is impossible for man or beast to face the storm. As Roan is speaking, the line goes dead. Maynard, having done all he can, hopes the message will reach Casson and no unnecessary risks will be taken. Welch, meanwhile, goes off to the Signal Corps offices in Nome to update officials in Washington before the storm comes in and disrupts communications. Welch's report to public health officials says, Violent blizzard now on is delaying progress. Have ordered antitoxin stopped as I wish to take no chances on its freezing or being lost just to save a few hours. Meanwhile, Cassin is waiting in a roadhouse in Bluff. He never gets word that the relay has been paused. Instead, he waits by the fire for Olsen to arrive. Cassin doesn't know how fast the wind is blowing, but he knows he's never experienced any wind like this before. Still, he doesn't know when Olsen will arrive, so he needs to keep his dogs ready so that they can go at a moment's notice. This requires him to go out into the cold and feed his 13 dogs, including his leader Balto, periodically and make sure they're protected from the wind and the blowing snow. Even though the dogs aren't going anywhere, the severe cold requires substantial calories just to keep them warm. Olsen and his team of seven Malamutes, led by Jack, leave about 20 minutes after sepala and the antitoxin get to Golubin. The temperature is 30 below zero and the wind is blowing at 40 miles per hour. As the storm whips against him, Olsen is repeatedly knocked off the trail by a storm that threatens to overturn his sled. At one point, he stops to put blankets on his dogs, who aren't doing well with the wind chill. But this requires Olsen take off his gloves, even if just for a moment. It's enough, however, and he suffers severe frostbite. After he gets the blankets on his dogs, he's able to keep going. But two dogs develop frostbite on their groins. In spite of the conditions... A dogged sense of perseverance takes over and Olsen and Jack keep going, making the 25-mile trek to Bluff in just over 4 hours. By the time Olsen gets to Bluff around 7:30 p.m., Cassin has decided that Olsen is waiting out the storm somewhere and isn't coming. The wind chill is 70 below 0, and Olsen, when he gets there, is so severely frostbitten that he can't make his hands work well enough to bring the antitoxin inside. Kasson helps Olsen bring his dogs in. Casson thinks the dogs probably couldn't have made it another mile, and he's amazed that they all survived the 25 miles as well as they did. Warming himself by the fire, Olsen's hands are white and basically non-functional. Olsen, a man used to blizzards and extreme cold and wind, tells Casson about the storm and the extreme wind. It's so terrifying that the hair on Casson's arm stands up. Even with an extra parka on, Olsen was unable to keep himself warm, and at one point he believed that he was going to die on the trail, and he just hoped that his dogs would keep going and get the antitoxin to Cassin. Outside, the snow swirls around, and Olsen urges Cassin to wait for the weather to clear. Cassin recognizes this as good advice, and he waits by the fire. Several hours go by, but the storm shows no sign of letting up. Cassin, who has first-hand knowledge of how bad things were in Nome, is anxious to get started. He worries the trail to port safety will become so covered in blown snow that it will be impossible to make it the 34 miles there. Around 10 o'clock that night, Cassin makes a decision. He's going for it. He doesn't have any idea that the relay has been ordered to wait. He just knows that the antitoxin has to get going. He puts on many layers, goes out and feeds his 13 dogs, and hooks them up to the sled. In Nome and Washington, officials are asleep, comfortable that they've done the right thing in stopping the dog sled relay. They have no idea that their orders will never reach the mushers. In Bluff, Kassin says goodbye to Olsen and heads out into the night. Seconds later, he's out of sight. Balto valiantly leads the team, but within a few miles, the team is stuck in a deep snowdrift where blowing snow is stacked up against a ridge. Balto tries to run through. He makes it, but the other dogs behind him get stuck. Cassin stops the sled and makes his way to the front of the line. He gets the dogs unstuck, but the drift is too deep for the entire team to get through. Instead, Cassin has to turn his dog team around in the middle of the night, in the middle of a blizzard, and hope Balto can find a trail that will take them around the ridge. A team of 13 dogs and a sled is roughly the size of a large tractor trailer truck. Turning that team around isn't something that can be done easily or quickly, especially when there's a narrow trail. But Cassim manages to turn the team around and get them going back the way they came. Balto sniffs at the ground, hunting for the scent of other dogs, a trail buried under several feet of new snow. He makes his way forward tentatively. Eventually, Balto gets the scent, he finds the trail, and he breaks into a run. Despite the storm, everything seems to be going well again. But the biggest threat to the serum run is just around the corner. Next week, Balto and Cassin make history. Did you know that Alaska Dog Works trains service dogs for those in need throughout North America? Each and every service dog that is trained through the Lead Dog Service Dog Program and Michelle Fordo and her team has an individual training plan. We train for autistic, mobility, psychiatric, and PTSD for our soldiers for service work. If you know of someone that may need a service dog, please take a moment and check out Alaska Dog Works on social media and at alaskadogworks.com. Hi, guys, it's Alex. If you are a fan of sled dog sports in the Iditarod, Mushing Radio is the show for you. Each Wednesday, we drop a new episode on Dog Works Radio. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: If you like our podcast, there are a few things you can do. You can take a couple of minutes and go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You can also check out all of our Dog Works Radio sponsors and promotions in our show notes. Another thing you can do is go over to Facebook, like our Facebook page, and one last thing, please tell all of your friends by spreading the word about Dog Works Radio. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate you.
0: Dogworks Radio is produced by Robert Forto. Logo art by Angry Squirrel Studios.
1: Dogworks Radio is produced in conjunction with KVRF 89.7 in Palmer, Alaska. For dog training advice, you can contact Alaska Dogworks at 907 841 1686 or visit their website at alaskadogworks.com. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest, please contact us by sending an email to live at dogworksradio.com.